had to say the pastor said you should be high-fived amen well today we are going to be wrapping up uh, our fifth week uh, series about the mind we've been talking about the mind and the brain that our minds are actually separate from our physiology but our mind literally creates physiology the neuron paths we talked about the basal ganglia the uh, the way we perceive things. And really, it's been transformational, I think, for me. I, I, I got to be honest with you, I'm not good at this yet, but being aware of it has been helpful. Being aware of the fact that I can take a thought captive and literally make it obedient to Christ. I can tear down the neuron paths, the train tracks my thoughts jump to in assumptions. I can literally tear down those tracks and build new neuron paths that are based on truth. How many of you know the truth is always better than a lie? And so as promised today, we wanted to kind of wrap it up because I think sometimes theology, teaching information can be incomplete without testimony. And I, I really, I want you to know, I prayed about it, thought about it, fought over it, tried to figure out the best way to do this. And what I, what I had envisioned was a panel discussion of four or five people that had significant progress in their lives and from something here and then watching the project. The problem with that is if you have four people up here talking and you guys ask one question, how many of you know what happens? We only get one question because we have about 30, 35 minutes. And so I, we've whittled our panel down to one person, and uh, I know her better than I know anybody else. I watched her grow. I'm, I'm intimately familiar with her story. Would you welcome my wife, Dina Wiegand, today to come and be a part of us? She brought her Bible. Y'all in trouble. Woman of God brought the book of God, you know. Um, I do believe we have a phone number that we're gonna utilize at this time. They're on the screen, we're gonna put up a phone number. This number here, if you text it in, um, this is a question you might have. We're, I have some questions prepared to kind of get the ball rolling, but these are the questions I've yet to answer or I answer them, you just don't believe them. Like you need testimony, not just information. So today if you're here, like I, this one question no one's answered yet, what do you do about this? How do you get started here? What do you do when you do what you know how to do but it's not enough? Questions that might, you might be wrestling with. And we're gonna ask Dina and uh, we're gonna hear her answers because um, I, let's just start here. Grab your mic here, sister babe. Is, is that one on? Do a mic check. Say hello. 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 Turn her up if you would, guys, please. Say hello. Hello. That's better. I like it when you say that. Um, that wasn't creepy at all, was hi. it? Yeah, hi. <laughs> Give me that look. I'm going to dismiss service. Okay, good. Uh, now they're creeped out. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. So give us, give us the two-minute version of where your story begins. There, there was a significant season of your life where truth was not allowed. The honesty wasn't even allowed. There was a lie. It was being hidden. There was a facade. Just, just so everybody knows where you're coming from, your testimony begins where? Um, are you talking about from being a child yeah. and being molested? Yeah. Um, your reality was the most unreal thing I think I've ever heard, you know, as a kid. So give us the two-minute version of that. Yeah. Um, so it's so funny, I shared this with youth the other night, and um, my son said, Mom, I didn't know all of that. But um, so when I was in first grade, my younger brother was getting ready to start school, and a couple of days before school started, he um, fell down in our family room and proceeded to have a seizure. And um, that started several years of my parents being very involved with him and his health and figuring that out. And in the process of all of that, my middle brother um, began to molest me. He did from the time I was eight, no, from the time I was five 
till I was, the last time he tried anything, he was actually married and I was in college. So um, that was a very long time. But just fear always riddled me that his thing was, if you ever tell anybody, you'll be in more trouble than I will. And um, I just lived in fear constantly because if that wasn't happening at night, I was being forced to sleep with my little brother because um, if he had a seizure in the middle of the night, they had to know, somebody had to wake them up. So every night I would lay in bed and just be fearful that either my middle brother was coming for me or my younger brother was going to have a seizure and I wasn't gonna get to my parents in time. Right, so he would die and it would be your fault. And you're in first grade, you're six years old, all this is going on. So. If you said I had a bad thing that happened to me when I was six, I think most of the people would say, yeah, I, I got bit by a dog, uh, my parents got divorced, you know, there'd be that thing. But you were raised in a mindset of never be truthful, hide this with a perfect family. Now, admittedly, nobody in your family knew what was going on until you began to talk about it in your 20s, right? Right, right. So you were raised in a way like don't, don't let anybody know. And so now you meet Jesus. Tell us about meeting Jesus, and then tell us about the wonderful man you married and how everything changed. <laughs> so um, our family always grew up going to church, but you know, just because you go to church doesn't make you a believer, doesn't let you have a relationship with Jesus and everything. It's not until you actually take that step. And um, I dated a pastor's son all the way through from the time I was fifth grade till the time I was a sophomore in college, he and I dated on and off. And he went away to a school that was kind of like Master's Commission or FCMA. And he wrote me a long letter and just asked me in there, um, how's your relationship with Jesus? And I got very offended because I was like, he knows I go to church. He and God just kind of started just slowly um, you know, pricking at my heart and saying, but there's more. And one night I was at a hotel with my parents and I just went outside and in this big grassy patch, I just got down on my knees and I just said, God, I don't know if there's more. I don't understand everything, but if there's more of you, I want more of you. And um, as soon as I said that, God just started slowly. There were no angels that, you know, came out. There were anything. It just, he started slowly changing my heart. And um, he led me to Arizona to live with my sister for the summer, which is where I met my husband. And he was the youth pastor at the time. And I didn't have a clue about anything. I'm, when, I was raised Methodist all my life. And all of a sudden, I find myself in a Pentecostal church. <laughs> and I just, I went to him and said, I don't understand any of this. Can you disciple me over the summer? And the first time I met her, after 20 minutes of talking, she left. And I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. So when she said, would you disciple me? What's the right answer, fellas? Yes, I will. Little sister, I am here for you. <laughs> Dedicated pastor that I am. Amen. <laughs> so I, I think one of the questions that, that, you know, now there's a whole new checks and balance. There's a whole new reality. You're, you're not just learning something new. You're having to destroy reflexes of secrecy, reflexes of shame, reflexes of fear to become another person. So early on, 
you remember one of the early instances of, of you, you took this thought from your, your subconscious, it's just natural, it's the way I do it, to put it on trial and to say, that's not true, I'm not going to live this way. Do you remember one of those early instances where, where you began this process of neurogenesis and neuroplasticity? And yes, I do. Um, I remember um, almost daily just being angry at my brother and saying, I will never forgive him. I will never. And um, the night that we, that you sat there with me overnight and until very early in the morning when I was able to say, I forgive my brother, that how many times the enemy just kept bringing it up to me, the anger and the bitterness and me having to physically say, no, I chose to forgive him. I choose to forgive him. And the first year, couple of years, it was like almost a daily battle of having to say that and yeah. declare it. And, but it went from being several times a day to maybe once a day. And right. So that, that's interesting. So you, went, you, you made the decision to do what Jesus said, not because of feelings. It was a conscious choice. You put it on trial, unforgiveness being inferior to forgiveness. But the least natural thing in the world is someone who destroyed your life, letting him go. Like, it didn't hurt. It doesn't matter. It's cool. It's not. It, it does right. hurt. It does matter. It's not cool. But Jesus told me to let you go. Correct. To, to not hold this against you. So there's a process now, right? Like you said, you made a decision that night, I would, that morning as the sun's coming up. But by the end of the day, the feelings have come back. The feelings have been natural for 18 years or, however, you know, 13 years. Correct. So now the feelings are saying what's really true is what you feel. And you have to say... I don't care what my feelings, is that how that works? I don't, I don't care what my feelings say, I care what Jesus says, is that? Yeah. Describe a little bit yeah. of that, because that's a, that's a battle I think everybody faces, like I, forgiveness or any other thing that we're wrestling with, how do you, you just said two years, I fought it for two years before I didn't fight it every day, that may not have come as encouragement, because <laughs> the easiest thing to do is what's natural, what's natural is eye for eye, tooth for a tooth, kill him, you know, that, my first reaction was to kill him when I, when I found out about it. I'm not sure it's not my last reaction in some ways. You know what I mean because of that? But I, I, I would look at this and say, okay, so now this has to become my new normal. How did, how did you do that? Like when you said it came to you, you just said, no, I've made a decision. Is it that simple? Or did you have scriptures or prayers or deliverance or counseling or what, what else was in that process? Um, a lot of it at first was just me just starting to say, it had to become revelation to me that my anger towards him was harming me and not him. My unforgiveness towards him was harming me and not him. I had the thought process that if I didn't forgive him, that bad things would happen to him or that that was him getting the justice or something. And it yeah. wasn't until the revelation that, you know, the scripture that if I don't forgive, I won't be forgiven. And um, things like that, that I didn't want to be, I didn't want that to stand between me and God. Right. The whole new relationship with me and Jesus was, I didn't want anything standing between me and that. Right, right. Beautiful. And can I just reiterate that? Did you hear what she just said? So when that, what I wanted to do, what I'd always done stood between me and Jesus, I had to make a choice and you chose Jesus. I, I think that's a beautiful way to simplify a horribly complex, difficult process, is every time 
whatever it is comes back, there's a decision that has to be reaffirmed. The decision's made, but it's reaffirmed a thousand times before it becomes a new neuron path. Now, I know at some point you actually wrote your brother a letter, your family a letter. Um, you got it out there. Why'd you do that? What was the thought behind writing him to say, I want you to know I forgive you? What was the thought behind that? Wow, you're really opening up. <laughs> yeah. Where's the Kleenex? I get ready. We're ready. Um, so, the letter to my brother, I really felt like, um, man, I'm getting ready already. Um, God just told me that I needed to write him and to ask him for forgiveness, that I had harbored anger and bitterness. Thank you. And um, I felt justified in all of it, even though it wasn't something, how do I say? I didn't feel like it stood between God and I, but I knew it definitely hindered my brother and I and that relationship. And so I just wrote him a letter and said, um, I forgive you. No, I didn't even say I forgive you. I said, I am so sorry for the feelings I have held towards you. Please forgive me. Um, you know, and there was never a response or anything. And that, it, I was okay with that because I did what God asked me to do. And there was a release in that. His response was his responsibility, and I had nothing to do with that. I was just obedient. Right. And there was such a release because I had written letters to him in my journal and um, just to get feelings out, and then I ripped them all up, burned them. I did all kinds of different things because I wanted to know that when I sent him a letter, since God's the one that motivated me to do it, I wanted it to be full of God and not full of Dina and hurt and everything. Right. So. And you wrote one to your parents as well, and, and it didn't go responded to either, right? I wrote two letters to my parents. Yeah. And, and now in doing the right thing, because we're looking for freedom in this, mm -hmm. you wrote the letter, you mailed it, and you said, Duh. free at last, free at last, or you wrote it and said, I don't know what's going to happen next, or what was your, once you took, that's a courageous step, to forgive somebody and then not know it, that's one thing. To take a courageous step to ask for forgiveness, for holding bitterness against, I mean, that's, that's a whole other level. So what, what happens when you drop that letter in the mailbox, in your mind, where are you at that point? I honestly just felt a release. I felt like God had asked me to do something, and that's, um, honestly, when I threw it in, in the uh, mail receptacle, I was just like, God, do what only you can do, and if this is something that was just me needing to be obedient, then don't ever let it get to them, or if it's something they need to read, or um, whatever, it was just in God's hands. It wasn't in my hands anymore. It was right. totally in His. So you weren't, you weren't waiting for some reciprocating letter before everything would be okay. And so when it didn't come, that was okay. So it, it, you were being obedient. And that brings up a point. I, one of the questions we got here is, the, what role does the Holy Spirit play in this? Is it, do we tackle it all? Do we tackle one? Do we, do we just touch whatever we feel like the Holy Spirit's pointing at? Is it the Bible confronting us? Friends saying, hey, you're being a jerk a marriage relationship that's not working? Like, what, how do you know which, which thing to go after when you go after it? How did you know to go after this? It was a Holy Spirit thing. It was definitely um, just, again, stuff that would stand between the Father and I. And I didn't even understand it. And I would, you know, say, God, why am I being like this? And it would always come back to a root of something. And not to discourage people in this room, but I always feel like this will be something I will deal with for my whole life. And 
but that's great because it's taking off layers that don't look like Jesus and making me more like him. And just when I was praying this morning, um, I just really felt like I felt like God said, I allowed you to go through that because of the intimacy it would develop between the Father and I, and that um, it would be something that he would use in my life, and even though I didn't understand and couldn't understand that it's something that he uses, and that so many times we curse those things that happen to us when, yes, they are horrible, they are despicable, they're all of those things, but it's in those times that we get to choose to draw close to the Father or to run away from the Father. And yeah. so. So heat and pressure, you know, Jesus coming back for a bride whose gown has no spots and no wrinkles on it. Sometimes it takes heat and pressure to develop that, that faith, you're saying. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I hope it's okay to share this, but um, there would be times in our marriage that stuff would come up, and I would just have to, God, I don't want to be like this, but how do I get out of this? Holy Spirit, show me. And um, You you made that statement that you you said, I I don't want to discourage anybody, but it's not like, and four years ago I joined a life group, and it's been fine ever since. There's There's still an effect of this on your life that you have to be aware of, that you have to counteract with Scripture and so forth. Is it, is it true or false that eventually our, our scars, they don't, they don't define us anymore as victims, but they become a part of us? Like it's, you know, Taylor, the little girl that was killed in the train wreck, she's one of my dear friends that knows things about me that most of my dear friends don't know because they go stand at her graveside. And I don't, I don't talk to a, a, a dead child, but that's the place where I, when I just can't, I don't know what to do else. That's kind of an Alamo for me. It's kind of a, an altar for me of where God, where I trust a God to be bigger than my circumstances. And so she's been a part of that journey for me. Is that the same for you? Is there, is it just become a part, not a bad part of you, but just a part, it's a redeemed part of you. It's, I used to be a slave, but now I'm free. So I, I'm sensitive to people being bullies, to being slaves. It's, is that true or false? Yes, it's true. So, so the pain that we've experienced, we're talking about, about trauma. We haven't talked about habits and addictions and stuff. We'll get to that. But, but trauma itself is redeemable. True? In my case, yes. True. Now, you say in my case. Is there a case where you think like it just, no, you are a victim and die that way? Or is it you think Jesus can redeem all of it? What are your thoughts? I think we have the choice. The choice is always ours to make. And some people will choose not to take the journey, and you can't make people take the journey if people aren't ready, if they're not yeah. there. This, you know, as you described it, again, it wasn't an all-night prayer session that resolved this. This has been a, a decision that was made years ago that you continue to walk out to this day. How long was it between the decision and the kind of the revelation God's going to use this? Was that years? Was that days? How long was it before you said, I'm going to do what's right, even though it feels like the, the most non-intuitive thing I could do? You know what I mean? But I'm going to do what's right. How long was it between that decision and you really began to see God using your scars to, to help other people? Um, I would say that it probably didn't start until we moved here and you shared my testimony on a Sunday morning. And I saw something that had become so taboo to talk about, so shameful, so whatever. 
was used to touch people and to open doors of just release for people from years of shame and fear and everything. So, yeah. so what's that from yeah. six years? At least, yeah. Six years ago or six years no, from six that? No, six years from the time yeah. that it was acknowledged till... That's a long time not knowing why you're doing it. You know, or not seeing that God can use this. That's a long time. A lot of faith between that, between the decision and the fruit of the decision. Yeah, but there's a, um, there's a lie that I was the only one that had ever experienced it. So I, you don't want people to know because the shame. And, I mean, people told me I was going to ruin your ministry. And that was my yeah. one thing was when people know they're going to not look at me the same, not look at you the same. And instead, when you see people finding freedom because of it, it's... Yeah, can I just say something? I'm going to ask you. How many of you guys respect her more for being honest about her past, not less? Yeah. And, and I say that for two reasons. One is I want to really affirm that. The other thing, I want everybody to know that that's true. When people are honest and sincere and raw, you know what I mean, about where they are, what they're doing. I've, I've never heard somebody say, oh, my gosh, I wish you never told me that. I, I never look at you the same way again. But isn't the devil, the same voice that talks us into betraying Jesus is the same voice that, that tells us to go kill ourselves after we did. The same voice that told Judas to do that was the same, you know, both voices. It's, it's shocking how, how condemnation and shame will make us hide. We'll put on, we'll, we'll grab fig leaves and hide in the bushes from God and from man versus, I think, I think culture, this culture especially, values someone who is going through a process and is honest about it. Confessing your sins, confessing your hurts, you know, taking off the fig leaf, it's, it's a huge part. I've been in groups where everybody's like, how you doing? Good. How about you? Fine. Hey, brother, praise the Lord. And then somebody gets honest, and the rest of the group's like, well, if he's going to be honest, you know, if she's going to talk about her marriage, then, and then everybody opens up, and the mask comes off. And it seems like Jesus didn't even show up until then, right? Like, we're just, hey, fine. How about you, Pharisee? Good, Sadducee. You know, instead of, hey, where are you at? I, you know, like, man, I'm hurting. And then people have permission. I think your story gives people permission to, to have stories of their own. Um, renewing the mind. Let's, let's get into that a little bit because I think this goes to everybody's story. Uh, what role did putting new thoughts in? I, yeah, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. But it has to at some point become something else. I'm, you know, don't think about penguins is different than let's think about giraffes. So trying not to think about something by default, makes us think about it all day long. Trying not to quit smoking because I'm not going to smoke, not going to smoke, not going to smoke. Well, I'm thinking about smoking all day. So what, at what point doing the do's became more powerful than walking in unforgiveness? You know, not doing the don'ts became doing the do's. How, is it, did that happen naturally? Is that, was that from the very beginning? Is that something that's happened recently? Um. Again, I hate to say this because it's going to sound like it's a horrible journey, but um, it didn't happen probably until 2011 that, is that Isaac that wrestled with God? Jacob. Jacob. That um, in 2011, God and I did a lot of wrestling. And up until that time, I justified all of my behaviors with, um, the hurts and the wounds. And um, even though I had chosen to forgive, I hadn't allowed the Father and Holy Spirit into those wounds to bring healing. I was walking around with bandages all over me. 
And in 2011, I just, man, God and I wrestled, and we wrestled, and I, it wasn't until I just got honest and said, if you're so big, how come you weren't there to protect me? If you're so big, how come when I cried out for help, you didn't? If you're so big, where were you? If you're everywhere, you know? And I mean, I just got angry with God, and it was okay. He, wouldn't, <laughs> he didn't strike me down. He didn't. And I felt like it was the first time in my life I was ever able to just get the anger out. Right. And you weren't so. saying those things to hurt him or reject him. Those was a sincere cry of your heart. I don't understand. And that's, we talked about that last week, the cognitive dissonance. My, my brain knows that certain notes should follow certain notes and certain truths are true, certain things aren't. So there's this good God that's everywhere that's all powerful Then explain to me my childhood. We really can't grow. Our brains won't allow us to trust a God that we can't trust that wasn't there for us. So can you go there? Can you talk about, and, and I, I know you're very careful to say, listen, this is what helped me, but this is not, I'm not God didn't say this to you. God said this to me. Can you talk about that? Or I, I'll trust you to say whether you couldn't or couldn't or was going to help people or hurt people by saying it. Um, I mean, I can. It just makes people very upset. Well, most of them don't tithe. That's not really <laughs> the way. Right? It's, uh, just kidding. It's just a joke. Just kidding. Just kidding. It was getting heavy. I thought I'd throw that one out there. Um, yeah, I guess I had always been raised that um, God's the big guy in the sky, and you don't anger him. You don't. He's going to get you if you do, right? Yeah. And um, somebody had encouraged me to. God's got big shoulders. God knows what you're feeling anyway. God knows everything. So why not just tell him? And it was when I just did that, I just got mad. And, um, you know, I said, where were you, God? I don't understand. Where were you? And he just so jit. Gently and lovingly. And I almost felt him just like wipe the tears from my eyes. And he just said, I was sitting on my throne crying my eyes out for you, knowing that man has free will and I can't stop that. But my heart was breaking for you. And As any father's heart would, right? Yeah. Isn't it a good God to say that to you and to not kill your brother and to not destroy the world and to not create another flood, you know? So we've got three minutes left. For once, I don't think they'd mind if we went long. Um, they mind when I talk, but not when you talk. It's just the way it is, you know. What are you doing today? Like, what's, what's the latest pretense, the, the pretend truth? We, we talk about the past and major moments in your life, but today is a normal day. Today is an everyday. What do you do today to combat the new wounds, the new the things that want to touch the old buttons and the things that are trying to create new buttons in you because we're still at war. It isn't like, again, and then seven years ago I had this, this cry with God and everything's fine. There's still, we still live in a war zone. We're still on Omaha Beach, not Miami Beach. What do you, what do you what, what's the latest thing that you've had to tear down because it just wasn't true? What am I tearing down now or what sure. have I? Yeah. Um, what, are you, what are you wrestling with today? 
the day I just wrestle with a fear of intimacy with, um, with you. I wrestle with a fear of intimacy with friends, with people, yeah. and um, yeah. And what are you doing to combat that? How are you facing, because to identify it, to give it a name, I have a fear of intimacy. What do you, what do, you do next? What, what's your process look like to really, this thing's gonna win unless you fight it. You know what I mean? So you're going to fight it because I know you. And what, what, is, what are the tools? What's your sword? What are you, what are you throwing back at it? Um, I'm getting in the Word a lot. I am listening to teachings a lot. I am praying a lot and asking God to, okay, I know what is there, but what's the root? Mm -hmm. What's, you know, what, what does it stem from? And... I haven't been able to pinpoint it yet. There's little things here and there, and, but nothing that says, aha, that's it. Right. So there, the presumption is somewhere there's a, there's a moment where you made a decision about something that wasn't true that's now bearing fruit in your life that's painful. And so you've got to find that. You've got to go back in that place and confront it where it started. Is that kind of the, the process? Yeah. yeah. That's courageous. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. Um, I, I think sometimes people say, well, she's a pastor's wife, she's in ministry, she leads the staff, her kids are awesome, her husband has a thick head of hair, her, her finances, her reality is different from mine. And sure, she's okay because she's, she started this process 20 years ago. I'm not okay, I just started the series. Five weeks ago, I started even thinking there could be a different reality than the one I've been suffering from, whether that's addiction or whatever. In the final moments before you pray for us, and Rob, if you'll come up to the piano, what, what do you have to say to someone that's like, I don't know, if, if after all these years you're still wrestling with you, is it even worth trying? Like, what, what would you say to them to encourage them as they take first steps? Or maybe it's not first steps. Maybe it's, it's 20 years of stepping, but I haven't arrived yet. Like, what, do you, what encouragement do you have for us today that we just need to hear from someone that's being honest about your journey. That even though it has taken me 30 years to get here, doesn't mean it has to take you 30 years. You can get to God and let him minister to you. What took me 30 years can take you maybe 30 minutes. I don't <laughs> know. God's got a plan, though, and he's got a course for you to go down. And he wants you to walk it out, to fight the good fight, to run the race that he has set before you. He wants you to run it, not to run from it, but to run towards him. And I encourage you guys, just get, man, wrestle with God. Because God has an answer for every question that you have. He is big. He can handle it. He's not going to strike you dead. He is not going to, um, whatever those fears are that the enemy tries to put in your head, man, fight those fears Hide them hard because they will try and try to take over, but God's bigger. I promise God is bigger, and he doesn't want us living that way. He wants us living victorious lives. He wants us just triumphing over the enemy, and um, man, go for it, guys. He's made all of us bold and courageous in this room, and I, I have it all over me, things that... Um, This one says, perhaps this is the moment for which you have been born. 
We have another one that says she's clothed with strength and dignity. I have one that says courage. One that has a crown on it to remind me I'm a daughter of the king. These are not just things that I wear because they're pretty. They're things that I have to remind me of who I am and whose I am. On my wrist is tattooed exceedingly abundantly because that's what he promises to do, exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask, think, or imagine. So I encourage you guys, what do you want your life to look like? Where do you want it to go? What generational curses do you want to break so that it ends right here in your line? That you draw the line in the sand and say, you will no longer have authority to come into my family in this area. And man, listen for him. Don't just ask those questions and get up and walk away and think it's done. Sit there and listen until Holy Spirit speaks to you. Write it down. Remind yourself of him daily. That's, I have declarations I declare over myself. And that one of mine is, I will be loving, kind, and generous to my husband. And that means in every sense of the way, intimacy and sharing my heart. And you know I'm not good at sharing my heart with you. You know I'm not good at sharing my heart with people just because of that fear of intimacy. But man, I declare it over myself every day because I want to be, and I want it to stem from intimacy with the Father. I would say it's not natural for you to do that, but I would say that you are good at it. You force yourself to be good at it. Yeah. I think we start with, with obedience, or what I call Christ flex, and then we, Christ flex becomes reflex. You know what I mean? And you're disciplining yourself to be the person you know Jesus wants you to be. And I would say to you, you are an awesome wife, a, 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 an amazing partner, in life, you've raised two godly sons in the midst of the madness of pastoral ministry at a local level. Your grandson thinks you hung the moon. He lights up like a Christmas tree when he sees you. Your granddaughter is going to be a challenge, but everything else, <laughs> she's awesome, and she's going to look to you as a woman of God. You are beautiful. You are wise. You are strong. You are loved. You are admired. And... Uh, I think one of the greatest things I can say is there's no guile in you. What you see is what you get, you know? So I think I just want to encourage you and encourage everybody. Um, if you look at your faults and that's all you see, it's going to be a long journey. But if you let people that love you see what God sees and say what God says and believe what God believes, I, I think sometimes we're closer to what we want to become than we would realize, you know? So I'm going to ask you one last thing since you get paid by the hour, let's lengthen this, you know. I want you to pray for anybody that wants prayer today. And I'm just going to just do this. You don't have to do this. I don't mean to make this weird. But again, something happens when something that is here makes its way to here, makes its way to, to here. That makes sense? So, yeah, your microphone falls off when you do that. I'm going to ask, and this, you don't have to do this. This is no pressure. If everybody stands, if nobody stands, I don't, I don't think there's any offense. Or just, If you would like to be prayed over by someone who I have asked to be transparent about her journey because I see her as, as a general in this army. Um, if there's anything she... I can pray for you from a place of knowledge. 
she prays for you from a place of testimony. Does that make sense? I believe in her prayers more than my own. I would ask her to pray. We've asked her to do enough already. But if you'd like to be prayed for in this area, transformed by the renewing of your mind, taking thoughts captive, making them obedient to Christ, would you just stand to your feet right now? I'm going to stand because um, I, I need some of this. Um, and I'm going to ask you, if you would, babe, just to, just to pray for those that are standing today that God would, whatever, whatever God puts on your heart, how about we just make it that? Father, I just thank you that you are no respecter of persons, God, that what you did for me, you can do for every person that's standing right now, Father. I thank you for the boldness and the courage that it took them to stand up, Father God. But Father, I thank you also for the boldness and courage that it's going to take in the days to come as they pursue you in ways they've never pursued you, Father. God, I pray that you would just be there with them, that you would wrap your arms around them, Father that just as gently as you spoke to me, Father, that you would speak to your sons and your daughters standing here right now, God. Father, I thank you for just being so big that you've got shoulders that can take it all, that you love us so much, God. Father, I just come against the lie right now in this room that God doesn't love them if stuff happened because, God, you love all of us, but there is free will. So, Father, I just pray right now for a revelation of your love like they have never experienced before, God. Father, I pray for obedience in this room that sometimes it's so hard, even when you give us what to do, Father, for us to just be obedient. God, I pray that we would die to pride, that we would die to shame, God, that we would die to anything that stands in our way between you and us, Father, that we would just go the places you want us to go, God, that we would be brave to to go there, God. And Father, I just pray for your presence to just well up in this place right now, Father, as hope springs forth, God, as joy springs forth, God, as fruit that only you can bring forth comes forth, God, the people wouldn't leave here with dread, but they would leave here with excitement, knowing where they're going, God, that they would know that you have a plan and a purpose for them, that they haven't gone through this for no reason at all, but they have gone through this to be a light to this community, a light to their family, that they are breaking generational curses right now in Jesus' name, that things that have gone on for generations stop today in Jesus' name because of the stand that has been taken, Father. So I pray that you would do what only you can do. Father, I pray just your protection over each individual in this room, God, that their ears would only hear the words that you speak to them today, that the enemy is going to try to come in like a flood, but we just raise up a standard against that right now in Jesus' name, and we say no. We will not stand for that. But today, when we make the choice, we will declare it. We will stand on it. We will just, however many times it takes today, we will choose you and your way and your word over anything that the enemy would choose on us, God, and that we would develop new pathways in our brains, that we would develop new ways of thinking, that our mind would be set on you and you alone, Father. And again, I just thank you for everyone standing right now, God, and I pray that you would just do what only you can do, Father God. We give it all to you. We thank you for it, God. And I just thank you that the best is yet to come for everyone standing, God. 
that they can declare it. The best is yet to come. I believe it, and I thank you for it. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Dina's going to head to the back to uh, do guest stuff. Can we thank her real quick, though, before she goes? As she's heading back, just give me one last minute just to say this. Um, I think one of the most significant questions we can ask is, God, where are you? Or where were you? Um, Jesus, the last temptation of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross is not greed or lust or fear. The, the last temptation is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus knows what this feels like. If you're going through it right now or you've been through it or, or whatever, next week, Kevin Ramsby, pastor in Detroit, is coming here to share his story. And one of the most powerful explanations to where were you? Uh, he was stabbed, I think it's 50, 50 some times in the face, in the neck, uh, in the chest. He was disemboweled uh, in this attack. And the process that he's been through now, he went hunting for the man who, who did this to him. If he's not safe until he kills him. Um, and how God has led this, this, you know, as a pastor when it happens. How many of you know pastors hunting people? It's, it's not in the manual, but it should be. But, anyway, but it's not. It's not. He's going to share. And I, I think, honestly, what Dina shared today, touching on that is the beginning of healing. Where was God when? He's going to come back, and he's going to share his answer. Very different from Dina's answer. And it's not like, oh, I got the answer. No, I, I think when God speaks to you, you have your answer. But until God speaks to you, don't, don't try to receive somebody else's. Next week, um, hearing this testimony, beginning a whole new series on just the power of God's mercy, our mercy towards one another, you do not want to miss next week. This is one of the most powerful things that you'll ever be a part of, his story and God working through him. So um, come next week prepared. Amen. Everybody stand to your feet if you would, please. Let me pray over you and dismiss you. God bless them. Amen.